Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word, which is the lamb unto our feet, we ask, Lord, that we will be near to you, for we know that you are always near to us. Help us, Lord, to be near to you and to be attentive, Lord, to what you have got to say to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts here be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each one of us here, we all have this card known as the identity card. Your IC. All of us have, right? You have it with you now? I don't have it with me because it's in my, it's in my office. I wanted to bring it down, but it's not with me now. Now, whether you are a Malaysian or someone from overseas, we all have our identification documents. And by just looking at the IC, we can somehow figure out some information about a particular person. For example, what can we know from, from an IC? So, sorry? Na name? Date of birth? Address? Ra race? Can I? Race? We need, huh? Face. Oh, yeah, correct. That's a photo there. I didn't thought of that. Face. And uh, we also will know the state. We, we somehow, you know, by just looking at a person's identity card, we somehow know who the person is. Now, besides that, we also know someone. We also will know, you know, we will somehow get a glimpse of who a person is based on what he or she does. So our identity certainly, you know, it kind of will evoke a certain response from people. For example, people tend to pay more attention to those whose identity carries a certain authority. For example, the police, right? I know some of us won't pay attention, but most of us will pay attention. As we drive into our church, we also have some people who are also in their uniform. Do you pay attention to them? Yes, good, because they direct and tell you where you should be parking. And their uniform kind of carries a certain identity. Now, the passage that we are looking at today is taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. And one of the main aspects that is covered in this portion of scripture is Jesus' identity. But instead of just looking at verses 14 to 29, I would like us to look at the entire chapter, Mark chapter 6. And Mark chapter 6 begins and it speaks about how Jesus was known to people and the kind of impact it made in the lives of the people who heard about him and who came into contact with him. Now, I'm not too sure if he had an IC, identification card, but people kind of observed 
him. But before we look at how people looked at Jesus, you know, before we look at how people identified Jesus, the question that is worth asking is, who is Jesus? What is his real identity? Now, in order to answer this question, I would like to point us back to the first chapter of Mark, which is Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we find the story of Jesus' baptism. And that story is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now, allow me to read it to you, and as I read, try to imagine the scene. Maybe this picture can help. And so the scripture says that at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is Jesus' true identity. And the way and the manner in which it was communicated to Jesus was so magnificently visible that it must have made a permanent imprint in Jesus. The text actually says, he, Jesus, he saw heaven being, heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And not only did Jesus see something visible, but he also hears an audible voice. The audible voice of God which spoke truth upon him and into him. The audible voice of God which says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And friends, as we read on the following chapters, we will see how Jesus lived out that identity as the Son of God. We will see how Jesus, you know, how he operated from that identity of being the Son of God. And we, we all know that right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus was driven into the desert. And he was there for 40 days and he was being tempted for 40 days. The Gospel of Mark here does not give us the details of that account. But we know, we know that Satan was attacking Jesus' identity. Because Satan would say to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Son of God, then do that. Jesus stood firm without giving in. He stood firm in his identity. And as we continue to read on, we will find that Jesus truly lived his life as the beloved son of God. You know, he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach them. And people who heard him 
were amazed because he thought as one who had authority. And it's interesting to note that the people kind of noticed that there is a difference in how Jesus thought and how the teachers of the law thought because they would say the people were amazed at his teaching because he thought them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So there was this difference and this contrast between Jesus and the teachers of the law. We see him teaching, people were amazed, and after which we see how Jesus went about doing ministry, reaching out to people who needed deliverance, people who needed healing, people who needed his touch. And just to mention a few, Jesus, you know, we, we find as we read, he drove out an evil spirit in, man, in a man. He healed Simon's mother-in-law by just touching her. No words were spoken, just touching her. It says here, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait in them. No words spoken, just by touching her. On another occasion, Jesus was so filled with compassion for a man with leprosy, he healed him. Jesus healed a man who was a paralytic, he healed a demon-possessed man, and we know that healing just flowed out of him when a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years just touched the end of his cloak. You know, my dear friends, all these works of God and ministry that Jesus did, it stems out from that identity as a son of God. It is important for us to note the sequence. God did not affirm Jesus' identity after he had done all this. Jesus received affirmation and acceptance before all this, and Jesus operated from that identity. This is who Jesus really is. He is the beloved son of God, God loves him, and God is well pleased with him. But that was not how his own people saw him. Mark chapter 6 begins with Jesus going back to his hometown. And Mark specifically mentions that Jesus returned to his hometown together with his disciples. Jesus returned to his hometown, the very place where he had spent his childhood and his youth days. He returns as a rabbi because he had all his disciples following him. And as usual, when the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And as usual, people were amazed. But that amazement quickly turned into unbelief when they begin to question Jesus' identity. If you look at Mark chapter 6, verses 2 onwards. And, you know, he, 
you know, just imagine, imagine these people listening to Jesus and they were so amazed. And they said, where did this man get these things? And what's this wisdom that he had been given to him that he even does miracles? Then it's like, hey, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And the text tells us that they took offense at him. You know, my dear friends, these people were from Jesus' hometown. In a sense, these people would have seen Jesus grow up. These people knew Jesus' earthly family. And that is why the brothers' names are all mentioned here in the text. These people will probably also be the ones who knew that Mary was with Jesus before she came together with Joseph. So to them, this Jesus, oh, this is a legitimate child. They were familiar with Jesus. They've seen him grow, grow up. They were so familiar that they have lost the sense of awe and wonder of who Jesus is. We too need to guard ourselves from that. We too must not become so familiar that we lose our sense of awe and wonder of who Jesus is. You know, about two weeks ago, we had this seminar, How Not to Run Around Like a Headless Chicken. Any one of us who were here? Yeah, just a very few hands. Yeah, some of us, some of us were here for that, for that seminar. And during, during the seminar, in one of the sessions, Sheila, Sheila Thomas, right, uh, was taking us through an exercise. She was basically reading a portion of scripture to us for about three to four times, repeatedly, right? And we were told to just listen and receive. We were told to just listen and receive. And he told us not to quickly take our pen and start to write a three-point sermon or a three-point Bible, Bible story discussion. He says, just listen and receive. And we were told that as we listen, you imagine the scene. She also said this. She said, when you hear the words, try not to tell yourselves, ah, I know this passage. You see, some of us may have the tendency, no, some of us are, may have the tendency to just switch off or push it aside the moment we think that we already know what the passage is all about. For example, the woman caught in adultery. Ah, I know this passage. I've read it many times. Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha. Oh, yeah, I know this passage. Read it too many times. Jesus raising Lazarus. Ah, I know this passage. I've heard it preached many times. And so Sheila was telling us, don't do that. Because when we do that, 
we may miss out on what God may want to show us or reveal to us from the text. The people here in Jesus' hometown were too familiar with Jesus. And we see that their familiarity actually caused them to reject Jesus altogether. If you look at verses 4 to 6, Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. If you look in your sermon outline, the first question that I've put under think, reflect, and act is who do you say Jesus is and why? It is extremely important that we answer this question ourselves. No one else can answer this question for us or on our behalf. We need to answer this question ourselves. And Jesus himself also wanted his disciples to answer this question themselves. Because if we read further down onto Mark chapter 8, Jesus, you know, with his disciples, he would, he would ask his disciples, you know, is, hey guys, who do people say I am? Mark, Mark 8, huh? Who do people say I am? And so they were replying, huh? some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Then Jesus would ask them, but who do you say I am? You know, friends, I don't think Jesus was testing them when he asked them this question. He wasn't giving them an exam. He wasn't asking them, you know, hey, write an essay of 556 words of who I am. Behind this question, who, but who do you say I am, is an invitation, an invitation to know him. Throughout the gospel, we find Jesus constantly inviting people to come and be with him. And I would like to especially point us to the passage in John. In John chapter 1 verses 35 onwards, in that passage, we will find that two of John the Baptist's disciples following Jesus. You see, these disciples were supposed to be following John. The text tells us that they were John's disciples. But John, as we all know, he keeps pointing to Jesus and he was like, hey, look, that's the Lamb of God. And because John was pointing to Jesus, these disciples started following Jesus. And Jesus saw them and asked them, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus would say to them, come and you will, what? See. Come and you will See, so these disciples went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. You see, friends, Jesus was inviting them to know him. He says, come and you will see. I mean, he could have just said, or just answered the question, where he's staying. But he didn't. 
And that's what we normally do, right? When someone comes up to us and says, hey, where do you stay? Uh? And most of the time, we will say, hey, somewhere there, lah, somewhere there, near Queensway Mall, for example. And hardly, you know, hardly we will say, hey, come out to my house, come and see. Come. Unless it's our friends, it's a totally different story. We would normally won't invite people because when we invite people to the place where we stay, it means that we open up our lives and be vulnerable to those who can see your lives. Here, Jesus is probably meeting John's disciples for the first time. And yet, he extends his invitation to them, come and you will see. Jesus extends that same invitation to us. We need to come and see for ourselves and know who Jesus is. You know, friends, we cannot piggyback on another person's relationship. You know what piggyback means? Something like this. Something like this. Huh? We cannot piggyback on another person's relationship with God. We cannot piggyback on another person's faith. It's extremely important, especially for those of us who, who are born into a Christian home. Having Christian parents does not automatically make you a disciple of Jesus. We cannot piggyback on our parents' shoulders. We cannot piggyback on another person's, whoever that person might be, your mentor, your Sunday school teacher, your church pastors. You cannot piggyback on their shoulders. Each one of us must have a personal relationship with God. Each one of us need to accept Jesus' invitation to come and see who Jesus is. Now, besides Jesus' own relatives, right, King Herod was another person who heard about Jesus. Jesus' name had become well-known. You know, his name became well-known because not only was Jesus doing the ministry, his disciples were also doing the ministry in his name and by his authority. We see that in Mark chapter 6, before this passage, before this passage in verses 6 to 7. And so as a result of Jesus' disciples doing ministry, they were, you know, they, you know, as a result of that, you know, they were preaching and healing the sick, driving out demons in the name of Jesus. His name became famous. It became well known. And so King Herod hears all this about Jesus. And he has, and he, he himself probably has not encountered Jesus or rather maybe have not seen Jesus, but he hears all this news about Jesus and he makes his own conclusion. If you look at verse 16, it says, but when, but when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, had been raised from the dead. That's his conclusion. And this brings me to the second question that I've put there under thing, reflect and act. How does knowing who Jesus is make a difference or an impact 
in our lives. The news about Jesus reminded Herod about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was killed by Herod, and the la a large portion of today's scripture narrates to us about how John the Baptist was killed. You see, John the Baptist and Jesus, although they were two different persons, their work and ministry were different, but they had one thing in common. And the one thing in common they had was the message they were carrying. They were carrying and preaching the message of repentance. John preached repentance and so did Jesus. John the Baptist was a man who confronted Herod. Verses 18 tells, I'm not sure if I have it. Okay, I don't have it. Verses 18 tells us that for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias, who's Herodias? Herodias is the brother's wife. Love. Herodias was very unhappy and she wanted to kill John. But she was not able to do that because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And if we read on, Herodias did get her way eventually and John the Baptist was killed. And, as so, and so we see here that the news about Jesus reminds Herod of John the Baptist. Herod says to himself, when he hears all that was said about Jesus, John, the man I beheaded, had been raised from the dead. You know, friends, knowledge about God or knowledge about Jesus ought to lead us towards repentance. Because John the Baptist, because he preached the message of repentance, he preached a message that was not pleasant to the year. He preached the message that was a bit difficult to hear. And as a result of that, he was killed. And that is the kind of impact it made on Herod. Knowledge about God and knowledge about Jesus ought to lead us towards repentance. That is the kind of impact that we need to have. We, it needs to lead us towards repentance. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, does knowing Jesus lead us towards repentance? It is something for us to take home and ponder. Does knowing Jesus lead us towards repentance. I would like to end by looking at the third question that I've put there under think, reflect, and act. And the question is, how can we deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is to us? We deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is to us through scripture. That is number one and will always be number one. And if I may add, 
we deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is through the discipline of reading. If I may ask us, ask all of us, what is the title of the book you are reading now? Can you tell the person next to you? What is the title of the book you are reading at the moment? Are you reading or not any books in the first place? <laughs> wow, you laugh so loudly. I wonder what does that mean? Who is reading anything? Yes. Reading is a discipline. And we need to be wise in what we choose to read. And there are many Christian literature out there that will help us in our understanding of who Jesus is. So scripture is number one and will always be number one. Books, readings, supplements it. Reading is a discipline that we need to engage. Invest in those books, my dear friends, and cultivate the discipline of reading. If you want to know what books to read, maybe you can see me or see Pastor Ronald. What are some other ways? What are some other ways? We deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is through community. Our small groups are an excellent place whereby we share our journey with God together. And when we hear each other's testimony, don't piggyback, la. all right? Don't piggyback. When you hear, let their stories encourage us to have our own journey with God. You know, my dear friends, we cannot live our lives as a disciple of Jesus alone. Cannot. It is impossible. We need a community whereby we can look out for one another. Yesterday's family day, what was the team? Look out. We need to look out. Within the community and outside of our community. This week, when you meet together in your families, family devotion, family quiet times, or as friends, or as a small group, think of ways where you can deepen your knowledge. Some that I have mentioned is just a few. But think of ways that you can deepen your knowledge of who Jesus is. You know, friends, it is really our choice whether we want to deepen or not. You see, Jesus' relative who was from his hometown, they didn't want. They rejected him. Herod, in a sense, rejected God by rejecting the message John the Baptist brought to him. Now, how about us? Would we make a choice today to go deeper with Jesus? You know, let us pause for a moment and be quiet in the presence of God. Jesus invites us this morning to go deeper with him, to come and see and know him for who he is. Would we accept 
his invitation. Let us just be still in his presence. But Father, we thank you that you are always inviting us to come and see for ourselves and to know you for who you are. Help us, Lord, and teach us, Lord, ways in which we can deepen our knowledge and our experience of who you are. We ask, Lord, for your grace to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us sing our closing hymn, He is Lord. And as